Welcome to the third season of the For Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wilcoxon, and one of the lay elders here at Redemption Church Gateway. This season, we're going to be talking about work, careers, taking our faith into the marketplace, and some practical advice. This episode is about small businesses. In 2020, the number of small businesses in the United States reached 31.7 million, making up nearly all U.S. businesses. Nearly half of all Americans are employed by small businesses. That means that 58.9 million employees in the United States work for a small business with less than 100 workers. Wow. Today, we're going to talk to two small business owners. I'm excited to be talking today to Kyle Narducci and Josh Wallace. Thank you both for your time. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Thanks for Jeffrey. having me. Oh, well, uh, Josh, let's get started with you. So a little bit of background. Tell us about your family. Uh, tell us about your business, how long you've been attending Redemption Church Gateway. Sure. I've uh, been at Redemption since it was East Valley, and uh, I'm about 20 years older than Kyle, so we'll leave it at that, like mid-40s. I got an eight-year-old Piper who uh, loves everybody, loves God, writes it on the sidewalk every day, you know, and then I got a 15-year-old boy, Miles. He's uh, going to get his, his driver's permit next month, and Ooh. then a 17-year-old daughter who's looking at colleges, and they're all pretty involved here. They love youth ministries, amazing kids ministry, so... Yeah, but Gateway became home about five years ago, and uh, it's it's going to be home for good. I don't see us, you know, unless like Seth pulls a Josh Watt and drags us along or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as far as business goes, I um, have a really different kind of story. Um, I was, uh, 10th grade is as far as I got. So parents moved us out in the middle of nowhere. They were living in a trailer. There was a chicken coop that was a well house. So they swept it out. That became my bedroom. So I'm 16, 17, no, you know, TV, no sports, no girls, no opportunity, no skills. I wasn't a good student anyway. So 10, 10th grade is as far as I got. So I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And um, so, but they put a piano in that well house and there was nothing else to do, but there was a teacher self book. So I just got into that and just practiced piano all day long for like a year. And then as soon as I could, I got out of there and came down to, you know, Phoenix and was looking for work. And the only place that would hire was uh, telemarketing. So I like, just, <laughs> all you got to do is, is get used to being yelled at and read the script. I'm like, okay. Bad. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then a job opened up at a little piano store. And so I went in and, and they hired me and they put me out at Costco doing road shows. So I was just talking to people, getting used to communicating and selling. Found like I was pretty good at it. And so um, did that for a while. And then right before I got married, uh, they went out of business. And I uh, just, you know, taking a mortgage on the house and the new house and everything. So, but I got a job at a bigger piano store and then stayed there for a little bit and then got kind of anxious, got the, the entrepreneur bug and was just thinking, man, this seven out of 10 people are walking out the door. You know, those, those are like my people. They're starting their kids, their first time buyers and families. And, and, you know, there's, that's a big market share and nobody's really going after it. So, um, started my first piano and basically the, the concept is, uh, we sell perspective because all these families, I don't know how the kids are going to do it. I don't know what's going to look like in the house, how much money to spend. I don't know anything about pianos. And so when they come in, basically the model is, you know, we're going to shake hands, pick out whatever you want take it home. We'll follow up in six months. Give me a few bucks a month and I'll give it all back to you if you want to buy something. In the end, you spend that on whatever you want. So um, 
So I jumped and did it and, and had to f- figure out debt and how I was going to finance things, how I was going to acquire inventory. And, and pretty soon I realized I need a moving company because we did a lot of volume. And so I had to start a moving company that needed to be solvent on its own. And then I, I realized that our space wasn't zoned properly. So I had to take half of it and create a venue like a performance hall. And that ended up getting like 20,000 people a year coming through for little micro events. So, cause, wow. yeah, cause te- teachers didn't have a place they can't afford the center for the arts and stuff. So that became a branding thing in a way to connect to the teaching community, which is the biggest referral source out there. So um, now I'm running a venue, a piano moving company and then and my first piano. And then uh, we ran into issues with all the pianos I were, I was buying were, were, great, but they were ugly. I was getting them on Craigslist. So I had a whole inventory of brown pianos. So like, this is no good. So I put on Craigslist, any artists out there who want to take pianos and make them look like a canvas for your art and overwhelming response. So I hired like six people and we started cranking out like stencils and art and like pick your own color type stuff. And so we called that the piano revival project. So now I'm in the refinishing business <laughs> business. And then uh, just recently opened up um, the grand piano store where basically anybody who's, who's spent any money on the, my first piano side, who's aiming at a grand piano someday, will give you all of that back towards, towards that upgrade. So, wow. Um, yeah, pretty crazy, but had, had to learn, uh, a lot really fast, you know, and, uh, it's been, been crazy, but about 12 years yeah. into it. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, yes. we'll come back to you, okay. Kyle, Yeah, to tell us a little bit about yourself. So your family, tell us about your business and how long you've been attending uh, redemption church gateway. Yeah. So I'm Kyle and my wife is Taylor and we have a 10 month old Sophie. So that's my family, way less kids than Josh, but I'm also a lot younger higher maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've been coming to gateway for probably like five years now, ever since Seth started, I met with him and he's like, yeah, you should come check out gateway. I just started working there. Sweet. And so, um, my wife and I have been fairly involved here the last five years. Um, we met, let's just, let's see, man, I was, I was a year out of high school and she was in her senior year of high school. Um, and then we went to school in Southern California for a little while and came back here. Um, since I'm 28, my career is pretty limited. So I, um, uh, after college, I worked for my dad's commercial printing company for a couple of years. And then I was in law school as well, doing that in the evenings and really just kind of didn't like either of those two things. I was doing the, the commercial printing. I was in a marketing role and working with a lot of older people, older meaning like 50 plus and nobody else my age around, but I got to learn a ton. Um, and then the law school thing, I didn't, I I wanted to be a public defender, but, um, I didn't like my classmates and I realized those were the people that I was going to be working with if I Hmm. continued down that path. Um, and so kind of like in that moment was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my career and always knew I wanted to start a business of some kind. And, um, a really good friend of mine from high school and, Um, We reconnected after college. He was a product manager at a software company and he's a developer. Um, He was a developer prior to that as well. And we had just been hanging out a ton and his wife was like, Hey, like Tyler's really, you know, kind of just down on his career right now. I know you guys have talked about starting a company in the past. Like you should reach out to him because I think now would be a good time. And so we got together and we're like, well, okay. Like we both want to start a company. We're 24 at the time. So like the time, there was no better time. 
Um, I was married. Tyler was about to be married. No kids or anything like that. So just like very few responsibilities. Lower risk. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And my wife was in PA school. So I was like, what am I going to do with all this time now? And so we just kind of took an inventory of what we knew how to do. And him being a developer, me being sort of just like a generalist sales and marketing guy, we're like, okay, you'll make the websites, you know, because you're a web developer and I'll try to sell them. And so that's what we did. And um, June of 2017, we started Motion Tactic, which is the name of our company. And um, we started out just making websites for basically anybody and learned a ton along the way. Um, Made a lot of mistakes, but we've also done fairly well um, the last four years. So we have 13 full-time employees, Mm. um, an office in um, Tempe, and we do marketing for enterprise software companies. So we really niche down. We don't just do like websites for anybody anymore. Um, We do websites and um, demand gen for large to enterprise software companies. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, Josh, you said something, you got the entrepreneurial bug. What led you to kind of make that leap? Cause that's a pretty big, big leap for most people. It doesn't matter what age you're at, but to go some from uh, I get a paycheck from a company to I'm going to drive my own paycheck, start my own thing, go out, take that risk. Like what, what led you to go, I can do this or I, I can, I want to make this jump. Yeah. I think for the first thing that happens is you, you start, <laughs> you start thinking that I think I could do this better, you know, or different or cheaper or whatever. And you have ideas and, and they're exciting and you start to, you know, have, I don't know, you just think about it a lot. And, you know, if you think about it enough and like, it just kind of grabs you and you're like, you got to do something about this. So, um, I would, I would recommend, you know, firing bullets first before cannonballs. <laughs> you only have so much powder, so you got to like ping and calibrate. And then, you know, so I, I pinged for a little while and then I just uh, took all my powder and just went, went for it. Um, but yeah, I think in the marketplace, if you can bring value, if you have an idea and you, there's a customer and I, I love the idea of getting niche with it, like just try to be the best at, at a, at a singular thing, you know, if you can. So yeah, we weren't, weren't, I wasn't just going to open a piano store cause that would have been hyper competitive and it's like car dealerships, you know? And, uh, so I'm like, you know, I'll sell perspective and see how that goes. And it went really well. And I was thinking people would keep the piano and they would buy it at six months. And so I did all the pro forma and here's my cash position. Here's the debt service. And I, I didn't realize a lot of these people from when I started still have pianos in their home, they're paying $50 a month for <laughs> So really, yeah. So what ended up happening is we got uh, this massive balance sheet of inventory that we own, but, uh, short on cash all the way up to, to this year. So, um, and I couldn't leverage that against loans because what does the bank want with, you know, a thousand pianos that are in people's homes. So (laughs) I had to, you know, put my house up as collateral for this and that and sign away everything. And, and, uh, yeah, it was very, that part was very difficult, but, um, you know, a lot of people have ideas. I talk to guys all the time, think that they want to start a business and, and, uh, it's just getting those ideas out of the cloud and into some sort of starting point and, and going for it. And, and they kind of, it gets hard and they lose momentum and then they, you know, they put those ideas on the shelf. But, um, but if, yeah, if you really want it, like anybody who's, who's got a business, like they'll, they'll tell you, you know, you have to, get after it and it's going to be very, very hard and 80% fail. So good luck. 
Yeah, we we did the thing where we kept working our full-time jobs for as long as we could. And then we're doing this on nights and weekends, starting the agency. And we were able to cut the cord pretty quickly. We were pretty fortunate. It took about two or three months. But that whole time, like I was, honestly, my, my dad ran the commercial printing company I was working for. So I was sort of like doing stuff on the side during work hours. So I was trying to sell jobs, meeting with people at lunch and stuff. Um, but like there had to be a sustainable cash infusion to allow my business partner, Tyler, to quit his job first. So there was like the thing that we prioritized was having enough of a runway to support him and his salary for a few months. And then once we were able to sell more stuff, bringing me on full time. Um, but yeah, like there's several ways to do it. Um, but it really does come Monty Williams, the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. I don't know if you guys are Suns fans, but uh, I know you yeah, are. Yeah. We, were, we were so close. Yeah. We were really close, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, his favorite saying that I love is anything you want is on the other side of hard. Ooh, and it, that's good. It, and it's my, it's just like hitting me a lot recently. Yeah. But I think about that. I think it's, it's so applicable to a lot of areas of life and business. And if you really do want something, it's just going to require more time and more mm. effort put into it. And yeah. it's not just going to be. Yeah. And I, th- I think flip, the sun's success I've been following pretty closely too. And I read, you know, I listen to blogs and stuff or listen to podcasts and uh, Chris Paul said, or Monty Williams says of Chris Paul, he stays unsettled in a healthy way. Yeah. He's never quite okay, no mm. matter what they achieve. And so I added that to my other two things I tell my kids all the time, which is if you're not failing, you're not trying to do big enough things. Yeah. So expect the failure and embrace it. And it's fine as part of the, you know, part of how things go. But if, if you're not failing, you're not maybe trying to do, you know, big enough things. And then the other one is if, if you always have it under control, you're not moving fast enough. So, mm. so those are kind of my three things along with the Chris Paul quote, but. So, like so Josh, were you, were you still working and doing your thing on the side until it got to a certain point or did you kind of do the planning kind of behind the scenes still working your day job. And then you just got to a point where like, okay, on this date, I'm going to stop taking this paycheck from this company and I'm going to start my thing or, or were they a little bit like Kyle, you're kind of doing it on the side or at night until you got enough momentum or enough runway. Uh, yeah, I was, um, I, I went to school big time. Like I read every book I could. I took all those highlights, put them to Evernote, took those highlights, try to pull something that was applicable to whatever I was doing. So, um, just tried to learn as much as I could. And then <laughs> I tested my concept on my other company's customers. Like, Hey, what if, what if this was an option? And the response was so overwhelming. I'm like, okay, so, so there's uh, you know, that'll work. And, you know, so I figured out like our database system and how, you know, QuickBooks, I had to learn that. And I had to read about how to hire and fire people on HR and, how, how am I going to do marketing? How much try to do a budget, but there's no historical data on the model that I had started. So, uh, yeah, there was a bit of a leap, leap of faith at, at some point, but yeah, prep, you know, prep as much as you can and get as much as you can done before you get that last paycheck. Yeah. Um, I recently read uh, the book by Adam Grant called Originals and one, and and, yeah, and he talks about the guys from Warby Parker who started the really successful eyeglass, um, you know, uh, e-commerce business and got their um, sunglasses. Yeah. Oh, nice. Representing. And they, he talked about that. They just didn't just like one day stop their jobs and then just, you know, fired up Warby Parker. They all had to 
day jobs, pretty successful day jobs. And they got the side hustle or side kind of project up to a point where then it made sense. So uh, from the outside, it looked like they just had this brilliant idea. They fired up, started making all this money and there was like no risk, but they actually took a very conservative approach. It's really interesting because so much, there's so many podcasts and videos and, and books about being an entrepreneur and starting businesses. So this all leads to a question. Like what, like what, what was it inside you that said, I have to be, I have to take on that risk. I want to be kind of, uh, you know, I want to drive my career not and, and go work for somebody. Yeah. For me, it was just that I didn't want to work for somebody. Really? Yeah. yeah. And, um, I think for my, my friend and business partner, Tyler, it was the same thing, but also we felt like we could create an incredible work environment that people would really love and that we would be able to hire. Like our goal from day one was to build an agency that was just greater than what me and Tyler could do. We wanted to hire people and to a fault, like we had, I think eight employees in the first year and a half or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Like we, we staffed up uh, really quickly because we wanted to build uh, products that people really loved and that were super high quality Um, and so that was for us, that's what it was, is we didn't want to work for somebody. We wanted to create a really awesome work culture and we wanted to hire really great people and work alongside them. Mm. What about you, Josh? Yeah. I mean, with my 10th grade education, there weren't a lot of options of, you know, pursuing different careers in different industries. So it was a little bit of desperation, um, partly looking around at, at the, the staff within the company and they're a pretty large piano dealership, but they're all old, you know, old industries, old guys, and they just were kind of cranky and everybody complained about this and that. And I just, you know, the owners were cashing in, they weren't really involved. And so it was part, partly the culture and the environment, like Kyle said, like, I think I could, I think I could do, do create a place that people would want to work for. Like, I want to create a place that if I'm them, I would want to come to this place and be treated this way. And, uh, but your, your confidence is, is never going to be there in the beginning. You're always going to have to act um, more. You're going to have to act bigger and more successful than you are oh, most yeah. of the time. So I think of like the Born Identity, the one with Hawkeye, the only one without Matt Damon in it. But there's a scene where they're breaking into a, a pharmacy place and he's like, we belong here. She's like, we can't do this. And he's like, just, we belong here. We're doctors. <laughs> so yeah, I was just thinking in your head, like I, I belong here. I'm, you know, and people say, oh, you're an entrepreneur. It's like, I don't even know what that word means, but I'm trying to, <laughs> trying but, to start so, but, something. But is that the same as, because the other popular phrase is fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. But are you, are you, is that kind of what you're saying? Or are you saying more of you, you just need to have confidence and, and just trust in your abilities and. And, and so is it more of a confidence thing or is it more of a showmanship? You're, you're trying to let everyone, you're, you're trying to portray something that yeah. you're bigger than you are. I, I see Kyle wants to get in on this one, but I'll just say for me, it wasn't, it wasn't, I'm confident you can do this. You have, I mean, even coming into this podcast, I'm like shaky, like I'm nervous. Oh my gosh, I've never been on a podcast. Um, but you do, if you're going to the bank, like you need to act like you really understand how all of this plays out from a number standpoint, if you're hiring somebody, they need to believe that you're the boss and you have uh, a plan and you have answers. And, and so, you know, you're always, if you're trying to do bigger, better things, you're always going to be finding yourself on, uh, in, in places that you haven't been before. 
And so you have to be okay, you know, being uncomfortable with that, but you need mm-hmm. to, you know, not, not be condescending and not patronize people and not, you know, but you, you, you need to act, act like you belong there. Yeah. You know, especially when you're first starting, like my brand was nothing. There was no business. There was no customer, you know, when I had the first customer, I guess, and they gave me money. I was a business at that point, but to them, they, they, they were coming to, they didn't know if it was a chain or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what do you think? No, kind yeah. of confidence so, versus faking it until you make it. Yeah. No, Josh and I are, we have similar size businesses. The businesses are different, but pretty much everything we go through is the same. Like we've had several conversations about this. Um, but I think, you know, for me growing up, my parents, I think what created some confidence in me was that my parents um, brought me to all these events and stuff like, you know, black tie events, different things, awards shows. Cause, um, my dad's business has always done fairly well. Um, and so from a very young age, I was just sort of thrown in there and you have to introduce yourself. You have to learn how to do that. You know, it's at a nice event, you have to represent your parents well, cause you don't want to look like, you know, you know, uh, some imbecile, you know, 10 year old. Um, and so like that, those are some pivotal moments for me trying to learn how to act the part. Um, and then I think that carried over as well to my role in, in sales, especially like when you're starting a brand new company and you're trying to create some form of cash flow. Um, and then once you get to the part of like, okay, we have some cash, but we need to level up. We need to go after a, a new type of clientele. And that's like really where for us, we, we were pitching this huge job. It was multi hundreds of thousands of dollars for a website. And I think the next cheapest website we had done was like $45,000. And this one was for a much more significant sum of money than that. And then, you know, you have to go give a presentation to the CMO, the VP of marketing. And this is a huge software company owned by a $6 billion company. And here I am, right? Like a 26 year old at that time pitching our services, but the thing that gave me the most confidence during that period and still does today is that we just had, like I said earlier, we staffed up like really aggressively early on. So I, we always had that team on deck ready to go. Mm. And I knew that if they just gave us a shot, we'd be able to deliver really well. And so that like having such an awesome team has always fueled my confidence when I'm doing things that are scary. But once you're in those situations enough, you just kind of get used to it. And then it's so thrilling. And that's the part of my job that I love the most is, now at this point, being able to actually create legitimate solutions that like, I'm not worried about my team delivering on because we've done this before. That's Um, huge. Yeah. So it's, it's fun though. Yeah. I will say too, like as time goes on, you don't need to fake it so much. If, if you're still in business, you've got some level of success (laughs) to fall back on, you know? Um, but for us during COVID, we almost, that was almost it for us. Store was a ghost town. I had, you know, to get PPP money, had to get, uh, you know, disaster relief money. But a couple of years prior to that, I saw the market shifting towards e-commerce and Yamaha has a really great product called the Clavinova. It's digital uh, that they released for sale online. So guys like Guitar Center and Kraft and Sweetwater just scooped it up and put it as one of their thousand SKUs in their database. But I'm like, I wonder if I could somehow break into that. Um, so Again, went to school, read a lot of books, talked to a lot of people and was about to launch. And someone said, hey, this the piano guys, the cello piano duet guys, they, they do great videos on like the Great Wall of China, 
3 billion YouTube downloads, Sony artists, they tour. Um, but the founder owned a piano store when they started. And so he's like, you should talk to him. So I did. And he's like, yeah, we're looking for passive income. I'm like, well, I'm looking to brand a, a brand new you know, thing. And, and so I went up and pitched them and basically said, if you give me your license, me your name, piano guys, you know, and you give me some real estate on your website and you do a couple of videos, I'll create a company and do everything. And there's your passive income. And they're like, all right. So then the Piano Guys Piano Store launched in January uh, last year, and then COVID hit. So all of a sudden, everybody was at home needing a hobby, and kick, you know their bucket list was piano was on there. They want their kids to, you know, stay smart and stuff. So uh, and they couldn't go to a store, so they were buying everything from their computer. And all of a sudden, our we had a hockey stick growth curve, and it wow. just went straight up. And uh, it's been so we had to learn last year how to how to scale a company, but now we have cash for the first time. So I'm like, I can afford really good people, you know. <laughs> Not that I didn't have great people before, but um, it's it's a lot harder when you, you know, when you can't when you can't um, offer a a large salary up front. You still have to attract talent and figure out how to pay them. But now we can. So the Piano Guys Piano Store is is the recent addition to the piano store that's portfolio. Exciting. Yeah. So it's, it's been really cool. Super that's cool. fun. Yeah. Well, you beat me to the punch about the pandemic. So, Oh, I'm you, sorry. You, no, no, that's perfect. You, so you talked a little bit about it. So Josh, uh, tell, I mean, uh, Kyle, tell us a little bit about how you guys navigated the pandemic employees working remote. Yeah. yeah we're super peers. fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> we're super fortunate in the fact that we had a lot of existing jobs going on during the pandemic. Like we had quite a few contracts that, um, that were upheld and partly because we primarily work with software companies. And as everybody knows, software went berserk during the pandemic. And so we, we saw like one down month. It was April just cause I think people just had a knee jerk reaction cause the pandemic really hit in March. Um, but so for us, we were super fortunate. It didn't affect us a ton, but what we really had to figure out was how to work remote and because we never had a vision to be a remote company um, and it's still something we're figuring out, you know, people, because we went remote, we come back, everyone's back now, a handful want to go just be remote and it's challenging. I get, I get it. You know, you, you get sort of used to that lifestyle. We did it for a year, you know, and there's definitely pros. Like I work really well when I'm in a hole or in a box, you know, and can focus on what I need to get done. And I think people working from home just liked that there weren't, um, the distractions that you get at the office. Um, so that part was hard and we have everybody back now, but, um, you know, luckily with the pandemic, it's just, we got kind of lucky with the industry that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Josh, are all your, did most of your employees go remote during that time? The piano moving business is an essential business. Oh, it is. Jeffrey. I you, did not you know You can't this. move your own piano. You gotta no, I can't. call somebody, <laughs> then they need to be at the phone and, with a truck in a parking lot somewhere. So yeah. So, so I took that as license to keep everything open and everybody and, you know, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I could work remote. I don't think I could manage a team that works remote. Uh, cause just the, the energy of being together and the accountability and, um, you know, I don't know, having a metric on how you can measure people's productivity when they're not physically there and you can't see them in action, um, seems really difficult. I don't, I don't know that I could do that, but yeah, I mean, for us, like we, 
we, um, with the nature of our work, what we care the most about is that the products are up to our standard of quality, done on time, done to our expectations and clients' expectations, but most of like our timelines are, are long. It's just like a completely you know, different business than a lot of what you have to deal with. Yours is so much more complex. So how, how, how navigating the pandemic, like what, uh, what area of your leadership style or just managing your business had to grow? It's a great question. I think for me and for, I think mean like our management team at our company, we were really good at communicating with people just sitting next to us and be like, Hey, can you do this or that? Like, can you look into this for me? We had to learn how to do that in a completely different format to keep everything going. So we had to completely revamp the way we we're managing our projects. We had to revamp the way that we were checking in with people on a daily basis. Um, pretty much everything that we did in person, because we operated so well in person, we had to figure out how to instill that same level of leadership um, remote. And I think for us, like growing and flexing those muscles in new ways was challenging. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that was the big thing for us was like taking everything that we do really well in person and applying that digitally. And, and now we're like going back to trying to be better leaders in person because like of that shift that happened. Um, so yeah, I think for, for us, it was that. Yeah. Josh, what about you in terms of like one thing about running a business or your leadership that had to grow or yeah, I think the the hardest part when you have staff is, and you know their families well, and my office manager has been there 10 years, so I know her really well, and you've got, you know, a dozen people, and you're not just looking at your bills and your expenses and your family or whatever. You've got this big work family, and everybody's staring up at you in a crisis, wondering what how you're going to take care of them, you know, and it gets pretty lonely out front sometimes if you're in leadership because you can't you can be vulnerable to a point, but you, you can't really, um, again, you have to act, <laughs> act like you've got it all together. Um, so I, I, you know, I sought out some, some help from some guys who are pretty successful and, uh, just try to stay calm and tell everybody, you know, if, if we have to take pay cuts or cut hours or whatever, um, I'm doing everything I can. I'll pay myself last. It's all about you guys. Uh, that's the kind of culture we, we try to produce, but, um, I think, you know, for, for the first time I, I thought we may have to shut down and all these people are going to have to go find a job and no one's hiring and you can't even go out of your house. So, um, just, you know, being an encourager, trying to stay confident, trying to let them know I've got a plan, you know, every week, here's what I'm doing. Here's what's going on with the financing. Here's, you know, I was just watching the news and over consumed way too much trying to figure out what the government was doing and what other businesses were doing. And, I don't think that that's healthy. You know, I kind of checked out from the news feed this year and I feel so much better. Just not, not having to track with all that that's stuff. Smart. But, well, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like you became more transparent and probably really ramped up your communication during that compared to before that. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I think, I think you have to, uh, your words, every word matters, you know, your facial expressions matter. Um, your schedule, when you show up, all those things are important. So yeah, it was just very sensitive to how people were hearing things and what they needed from me and keeping them posted and stuff. So I didn't, 
you know, share the fact that I had anxiety every night, couldn't sleep and, you know, was freaking out on the other end. But, um, mm. you know, but Seth knows that I had enough, <laughs> a few talks with him and like, I'm a mess. I was such a mess. Oh. Well, Seth, if you're listening, we, we love you. Thank you for your, <laughs> for serving us. Um, you, you both a couple of times have mentioned culture. Um, part of, part of the reason why you wanted to start your own business, part because you're driven by, you wanted to create a culture that people would love to come and work and create something great. T- tell me more about how you try to create culture or how do you, um, cultivate it or help it grow or encourage it? Like, you know, is it something you think about much or is it just something now that's just kind of in the water because you kind of got it? you know, enough successful years that, and hiring people that cr- help to create the culture. Like tell, tell me more about, as you think about your company culture. Yeah, I think there's, it's like a two part thing for me because I think that it's this word that connotates like pictures of foosball snacks and um, sleep pods and stuff like that. And we have like most of that at our office. So it's like part of that facilitating culture is like having things that people like at the office. Um, And then the other part is making sure that the work is meaningful and that there's close collaboration between people and that um, ultimately they're working in a place that they can grow their career. Hmm. So it's like making this because we spend so much time together, make it feel like home, right? Like make it the environment. I'm so tired of seeing like places with cubicles and like, how do you expect productivity and people want to stay with you if you just have a, a design, your facility design being so poor. Like that's like a thing that we think about a lot is how do we create a, an environment that people feel like they can work in. Um, and, and then on the flip side of that, how are we bringing projects into the shop that we feel like are going to push our company forward and be projects that people could be proud to work on and push their career forward by being a part of that project. And for me, like that's the thing that outside of, trying to create solutions for clients. Like I love seeing our team grow in all these different ways. Like we're going through a period of that right now. Um, we have a big project we're working on and we're doing things we've never done before um, on a pretty high profile project. And it's like, okay, like we can do this. We've done this several times before. Um, and so for me, like I just have a deep appreciation for all of our staff who've signed up for this journey, not knowing that they're going to be um, you know, complacent in what they knew how to do before they started at motion tactics. So, um, I think, yeah, for, for us, it's creating the right type of environment. Um, and then having the work be meaningful. And then also this is, I think a larger conversation we're having now, but the benefits thing, like people want time off people. Really? Yeah. It's the weirdest (laughs) thing. You know, people want time off. People want flexible schedules, People, um, they want to have decent work-life balance. And as a small business owner, um, it can be kind of hard to, like, where do you draw the line with that? Because you have finite resources and you need people working and um, you can't just, like, dish out unlimited vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, the things that I I put myself in their shoes, Mm -hmm. you know, the things that I really like is spending time with my wife and kids. I like being able to go on vacation. Um, I like being able to turn it off sometimes. And so I should be providing the same. I like healthcare, right? Like I like good healthcare and I like my teeth clean. Um, and so I should be providing that those things that I like for my employees as well. 
um, because it's not just about, um, it's not just about the bottom line all the time. Yeah. Right. Like wow. if I want to keep people happy and growing in their careers, cause it's super hard to hire right now. Like it took us six months to hire our account manager. It's like, you know, so it's like we need to be doing these things collectively to retain talent and to attract talent. Yeah. Josh, what about you? Culture. I just put myself in their shoes. Like what kind of place do I want to work at? So everybody coming to the had an interview yesterday. It was really good. And, and just the way I was talking about culture, she was like, well, I, I'm working at a church in Tucson. This seems like it's the same thing you know, just the underlying principles, like, I'm like, you're not an employee, you're a person, you know, with other interests. And this may be a stopping point on the way to something else that you, you know, and, um, and so you don't need to consult a manual. We're not going to have reviews. Like we're really laid back, but we really get after it and we don't tolerate gossip and we don't, you know, um, but just a culture where, you know, my, my core thing right now that I always think about is just love God, you know, heart, soul, mind, strength, love people. Um, mm. So the definition of love that I'm always going over is, you know, to, to know and to, which, you know, with your mind, to want with your emotions and to do with your actions what's in the best interest of another, whether they deserve it or can reciprocate. So if you start there and you just run everything you're doing through that grid, um, you're going to come out on the other side with a pretty healthy culture. And I have found people coming in. Um, we didn't recognize it for a while, but now the culture is so well-defined that if somebody comes in, they're new, they import whatever parts of culture they've been with. And sometimes you can see it and it stinks and it's in the air and it's like, whoa, this might not be the place for you if that's the way you want to do things. And you don't even need to fire people hardly ever because the culture just spits them out. Yeah. And it's obvious that it's not going to work out, you know? Yeah. We used to hire people on the spot, like for the first couple of years of being in business. And like, you can do that and get away with it with a few employees, but you can't do that forever. And it was starting to catch up with us. Mm. And so part of what I think has made our culture better the last year um, was we, we implemented this system called EOS. I'm not sure if you, have you heard of uh, traction in the EOS? I work Mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. 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 So Jeffrey, you're familiar with it, but it's this whole framework for managing your company, creating goals and achieving them. Rocks. Rocks. Yeah. L10s. It's got all this like culty type lingo, (laughs) but we implemented that in November or October of last year. Who was your implementer? So our, our director of operations, Jesse, she came from another agency that did EOS really well. And she just kind of like absorbed everything of how they did it and was like, Hey guys, like I could do this here. And so she, she's our implementer. Nice. And she's fantastic at it. And, um, what agency was she at? She was at this one, I think in Minnesota oh, okay. called the socialites. Okay. Um, I'm not super familiar with it, but yeah. they, they're successful. They do things very well. But from a culture perspective, like that was when I was talking about communication, implementing this whole like system really helped um, because we were transparent about everything except basically how much money me and my business partner make and how much we profit. Mm. Um, and that's just, I don't feel comfortable sharing yeah, that with yeah. employees, but um, everything else, like people, um, you know, they, they, they don't have to fear and not know where they stand with us. Mm. We're extremely clear because we do 
these quarterly conversations where everybody gets the chance to talk to us about um, things that are going well and things that aren't going well. Um, we just went through all of our quarterly conversations last week or two weeks ago, and now we're just like heads down getting so much stuff done and making improvements to the company. But um, everybody feels like they have a voice. And I think because we implemented um, EOS and traction, like our company's way more organized. We have a system for hiring and people are actively contributing towards things that we could be doing better. So mm. that's really helped our culture a ton too. So you've, you've both have mentioned things that I can clearly hear have been shaped by the gospel. So people, uh, people aren't employees. They're, they're people, they have dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't about just the bottom line. This is about furthering people and taking care of them. So tell, tell me more or, or dive deeper into how you, when you think about the gospel, um, and kind of the dignity of people and running a business, like how does, how does your faith in Christ like impact you as a business owner, leading people, setting vision? Mm-hmm. I think for the demographic, uh, that's going to get the most out of this podcast, probably like you're identity in Christ, child of God, forgiven, you know, Jesus is my friend. I have a mission. I'm living within a bigger God story. Um, that identity, uh, needs to stay at the center of everything because the, the work thing can become your identity super quick, or it's like, that's where I get my value and meaning. And the same thing with being a dad or a husband, those are wonderful things to have as part of your identity, but your core identity in Christ manifests itself in these other sort of sub identities, you know, that are secondary. So if you can keep that core, you know, keep the gospel in the center, um, you're going to wind up, you know, with better marriage and being a better boss or better employee Mm. or healthier or whatever it is that your goal is. So, um, and I, you know, you're around people 160 hours a week or a month, you know, at like a week. Said, wow. That's a, week. a, that's yeah, a lot. We, yeah. We really, <laughs> we really drive our people. Yeah. 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 But you know, staying curious and being empathetic and asking questions and knowing where people are at in their spiritual journey is, doesn't take very long. Um, so you just look for opportunities, you know, and you, you ask questions and you listen. And if you disagree, uh, great. Because as you're listening, they start to trust you. They're like, he's not here to argue with me. He's, he's listening. And you're also gathering information to know exactly how to respond to somebody with what they're dealing with, you know? And so it's, it's kind of just a matter of, of having that, you know, I'm within the God story and I'm here to be an ambassador and to plead with people to reconcile with God and help them reconcile with each other. And so that gives you, that gives you purpose and bigger purpose. Mm. Um, and it just affects the way that you treat people and, and the way you, yeah, you know, motivations and all that stuff. Yeah. I think you really hit the nail on the head with the identity thing. I think for me, like really up until like a year and a half ago, I was so like consumed by running our company and, um, by being a good business partner and that essentially like that was all that I could think about all the time would lose a ton of sleep over it and felt like I was basically losing control. Like I, um, you know, I, I think we all have our fair share of struggles in life, (laughs) but for me, like it was really affecting my mental health. And, um, and so like in our RC that I'm a part of and through some close friendships that I have at church and in my personal life, those were things that I was able to work on with people 
and with my wife. And, um, and I think like that's created a very positive effect at work. Um, there was a period of time where I'd show up at like 6am and leave at five or something. And I, I just felt like I had to be putting in the time for some weird reason. And, but essentially like the problem was that I wasn't delegating. Mm. <laughs> like, it's just like a simple thing to solve. Um, but like all that to say, um, like recognizing that and reorienting for me was, was, was a key thing. Um, and, and I just think that like I had an employee who, um, I think about this a lot. I haven't like talked to her about this. She doesn't work, work for us anymore, but, um, she, she had a child and a really young baby. And I just kind of like regret the way that I handled the situation because it was during that time where I was working a ton. And, um, I just felt like I wasn't fair to her because I was putting in all this time and I wasn't seeing that same time effort reciprocated. And first of all, like she's not a business owner, she's just an employee. So there's the expectation, you know, was off, but it really was it, like the, the, it really just came down to me not focusing on the right things. Mm. You know what I mean? And, um, and so like once I kind of had that realization, um, I started attending a greenhouse here and I, we did greenhouse here at gateway for a while. Um, I don't know if anyone listening would know about that, but it was essentially like a, a leadership, um, uh, course thing that Luke led for a while. Um, and just started learning more about a healthy gospel view of work. Mm. Um, and then just quickly realized that I really had an identity problem. Mm. And, um, and so I've just put in a lot of work there, but also like, I don't need to put in the work. Yeah. Like the realization is that I did, I think I just like missed out at some point on the fact that I didn't need to earn any of the love that I received from Christ. Yeah. And it's just like such a freeing thing to think about. Um, and it makes me want to be generous to my, my team, you mm. know, just because Christ is so generous to us. And I think like th that's the message I want them to get, because as you know, in creative services and in marketing, you really don't attract a ton of Christians. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You really don't. And I, I think, you know, we, there's me and then like two other people in my company that are, that are Christian and the rest of them aren't. And that's okay. You know, I don't hire based on someone's religious preferences or beliefs. Um, but I just, I want people to see that this business isn't my identity. Mm. There's this guy, Dove Charney. He is, he was the CEO of American Apparel. Oh yeah. Remember this guy? Mm. He was crazy. He had all the staff living in his house and this is during like the height of American Apparel. Yeah. And I've read so many stories about guys like him that are all consumed 24 seven by their occupation and their job and their business. It's just like extremely scary to see how you can end up. And I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. So you, you both have about 10 employees. So you, you, you say you have a couple of believers and mm -hmm. that's not really what you're looking at when you hire mm -hmm. like uh, Josh, like how many, how, you know, believers, non-believers kind of working for you mm -hmm. or that you know of? Yeah. I don't draw the line there either. Like if you can do the job and, and you, or a good culture fit, um, then you're in, uh, I, the, my best workers have been Christians. I don't know if it's just because there's like a, a creative energy that happens when we're like, yeah, Jesus wink. We know what that means. Like if we fall, we're only going to fall down to this level. And, and, uh, we're, we're working for the, the good of 
you know, of mankind and we've got this bigger mission and, you know, whatever. So I've always gotten along with those people, uh, better, like just having Christians who work for me, they've also been the best workers. Fortunately, you know, they've been consistent with that Christian worldview and the way Mm -hmm. that they live out at work. But, um, but I, I know where everybody's at spiritually. I know what, what questions they're wrestling with. And, mm-hmm. and I just wait for opportunities to chime in and, and not be overtly, you know, where we're going to sit down and, <laughs> and I'm going to give you one big gospel message and whatever. But, you know, a year from now, two years from now, you know, I drop the word Jesus and they look back over the last two years ago. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And that's not what I thought about Christians. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, that is how he treats us and, you know, that kind of thing. But I pray a lot for the staff and, and pray for the staff I don't have that I'm desperately looking for who apparently don't want jobs right now because nobody's applying. But um, but I was praying, you know, for, for the God to open the door. And literally that week, kid walks out of Bounce U, 10 feet to our door, walks in our door, sits down. He plays jazz piano. He's really good. My office manager ran out there like, Hey, what are you doing in here? Do you have a job? And he's like, yeah, I work next door. <laughs> and she's like, can you talk to the owner? And so he came back and, and he's a great kid, like just super well put together. He was 18. And I'm like, do you want to work here? And he said, yeah. And I go, I've been praying about, you know, someone to open the door, but I didn't realize it would be. <laughs> and he's like, well, I, you know, I have to work at bounce you on Saturday. I'm like, yeah, n- not anymore. <laughs> you, <laughs> you work here now, you know, but, but he's, uh, he's kind of questioning super smart. And so I, I, can I pick you up and take you to Easter service? And he's like, sure. So we were in the car, talked about Easter stuff. Cause it was in context, you know, and then afterwards, what you think we went to lunch and stuff like that. So that was an, an overt effort to share Jesus. But other times it's like, I know you're going through a hard time. Here's $500. Mm-hmm. Um, not in Jesus name, but they know yeah. it's in Jesus name. Yeah. So let's, let me, let's turn a little bit to some practical advice. And you both talked about hiring and um, kind of, you know, kind of your, your practices and everything, but um, imagine someone in their maybe mid to late twenties, they finished college or they didn't, or, you know, maybe, maybe they're on their first or second kind of job and they're, they're interviewing or they're, they want to be a, they're a believer and they want to be a, a good faithful employee, but also, a, a, you know, a faithful believer in, in the workplace. But in terms of like just practical advice, like what advice would you give to that generation in terms of work, being part of a culture, um, you know, getting after it? Yeah, I'll take this one first. Josh is staring at me. Um, so we hire um, mostly young people, and largely that's because that's what we can afford. But um, I think for us and what I see is that people just need to start somewhere. Like people, if you're interested in marketing, get a marketing internship or a marketing job and put some time in soak, soak up that time while you're there, work hard. And then if that is truly something that you want to do, then pursue it and become a specialist in it. Um, or move on. Um, because there's nothing worse than like dragging an employee, you know, on when they're just really not interested in it, especially younger ones. So I'd say like, if you have an, an, a hunch that you're going to like something, get a job and start doing it eight hours a day. Um, I think people stay at jobs for like three or four years on average now. So if you don't like it, like you can get another job, you know, you're going to have 
10 different, you're going to work at like 10 different places. I think on average, there's like eight to 10 different, um, jobs that people had on average right now. Mm. And so, yeah, that's, that's the one thing for, for a younger person looking, looking into getting a job, just start somewhere, put the time in, figure it out if you like it or not. Most of the time they do end up liking it and they can go on and use that job as a stepping stone into something greater. Yeah. Josh, what, uh, what advice would you give to people in their mid to late twenties? There are some common things that I think every employer is looking for. Um, mm-hmm. That if you have these things, you, you're going to be able to go pretty much anywhere and do anything. Um, if you can communicate really well and connect with people well, um, is huge. Written and verbal, especially with customers, because you're always in front of a customer, on the phone with a customer. Um, so if you could do those things well and you're a learner, like a lifetime learner, you're just, you know, Mark Cuban's best advice is just, you know, go to school, be the expert, know more about it than anybody else. So if you're getting a journalism degree or something, and I don't have one, but I want to do that, um, I would just show up and say, I'll just work for free for a while. And here's my top 10 journalists. I've been copying their style. Here's my portfolio of things I've written for nobody, but here's what I can do. And you just find out who's doing it really well and copy them. And pretty soon you'll, you'll be like, man, I can, I can do this. Not only that, I can take what they've done and build on it because I'm continually learning and continually growing. So it's amazing how far you can go with simple skills like that. If you're putting in the effort and constantly moving, constantly growing. Um, so my daughter wants to go to college. My son doesn't want to go to college, but I give him the same talk no matter what, you know, I've, I've had two people who have doctorate of, of piano performance that I've let go because they've been in, in a room for eight hours a day practicing piano their whole life, but they don't have people skills um, and things like that. So, uh, and the other point is I, you know, again, with the 10th grade education and no skills and bad grades and, you know, not having success at sports or other things, not a lot of confidence. Like I didn't have anything figured out, you know, and had to just trust God with things. But looking back, at 45, I can see different chapters of the story and different doors that opened. Most of them open because something got slammed shut in my face pretty hard and it forces you to get creative and it forces you to work harder and things like that. So, um, so I'm thankful for the, the failures and things, but I would say the same thing. If you're, if you just need to pay the bills, like find the best job that'll pay you the most and then figure out where your talent, you know, read a big book on the Enneagram and talk to people and figure out where your passions are and figure out if there's a, the marketplace has any need for whatever your, your thing is. And then just quietly become an expert on that mm. and then go ahead and, and roll it out at some point or get a, a different job that pays more because now you have more skills because you're, you're just studying everything and learning and yeah. growing. I mean, my, my business partner, Tyler, he dropped out of community college And because he wanted to be a developer. And so he just started taking all sorts of development classes online for free. Um, And he became a fantastic developer making, you know, decent money doing that. And now because of that trade, he was able to be a great complimentary business partner for me. And I went to, um, I have a four year degree and some of a law school degree. You know what I mean? I've spent way more 
time and I money. Mean, you handle all the contracts at the, at the business? I do, yeah. yeah. Um, I do, but that's just because I got stuck doing it. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just my role. You know, it's part of what I do. But yeah, yeah so like learning online, if if um, if you didn't go to college and you you don't learn well that way um, and you like things that could be taught on the internet, pursue that. You know, we one of our, our, our best developer, our lead developer who... Um, is now a partner in a separate business that me and my business partner, Tyler, just started. He came in the door um, and worked for free. And that's just because, like, we didn't need talent. But he's like, hey, like, I feel like if you, you know, I, I feel like I could be a good developer. I know you don't need any right now. You don't need interns or anything. But if I could just sit, have a desk here and learn from you guys, that would be awesome. Wow. And so he did. And um, just really grew and he's a fantastic developer and now he's a partner in a whole separate business with me and Tyler. So I wouldn't pursue an unpaid internship if you don't have to, because I, I don't think that's fair. Um, but yeah, like there's a, if, if you really, really want to do something, there's a path. Yeah. 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 And I would align, align yourself with people who know people in power, people with yeah position um, and make those connections, you know, have some relational capital there. That could be spent later and, and just, yeah. they rub off and it's contagious. You know, people who are out there doing really well, you get around them and it's like, wow, this is, they have a different vibe and you start picking up on that. You start becoming more like that. But yeah. my kid, Micah, I was praying for from Bounce U, he was the top jazz drummer in the state. He was all state jazz drum three years of his high school career and he's got a full ride and he's at ASU. But I tell him like, does the marketplace have a need for really good piano player? <laughs> and do you want to teach? Cause if you don't want to teach, that's the only way you're going to make money. Like you're not going to go around blowing everybody away playing jazz drums. And so I'm like, just think about what you're doing in school. Think about the kind of debt you're getting into and where you want to take that. And uh, he's making good money. And he's like, man, if I just didn't go to school, I could work here. And I just did my IRA and it would be like this. And I've already got this and I'm not even 20 yet. And, you know, he's kind of realizing, you know, all of those things. But um, I told him the other day, like, why is it so hard to find workers? Where are they? What can I? He's like, if I could, I'd work here twice. Great answer. Talk about aligning yourself with people in, in power. Yeah. Perfect. So time for five fun questions. Rapid fire. So if you had a magic wand, what would you fix about your industry or business? So if you had a magic wand, butterling, just rub it right over. Or what would you fix? What's would, one thing? I would say dealerships have to put the pr their lowest price all the time and don't make the good negotiators be the only ones to get the best deals. Like it's this, but now we have a discount. And then you walk out. I'll call you later with a better discount. And you know, just just get there. Don't rip people off. Yeah, kind of like like CarMax. Like this is the price on the on the on the car. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. No haggle. Mm -mm. Yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, for me, it would be that clients treat service people like humans. Like it's not that hard. People are just so rude. It bothers me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next question. If God blessed you with $10 million, would you do the same kind of work? And if you wouldn't, what would you be doing? So if he blessed you with $10 million, would you do the same thing? Because now you don't have to worry about taking a full-time paycheck or uh, company revenues. Yeah. Would you do uh, the same thing or do something different? I do the same thing, but I'd take the 10 million and probably spin off another business that was more 
like altruistic and more ministry related, you know, mm. and uh, work less, but just replicate myself and try to teach people at the office to do everything I can do. So I get to leave it alone, check in once in a while and, and uh, be a part of something, you know, take that money and yeah, like the talents, you know, God gave you five, try to make 10 with that. Yeah. You know? So, well, it probably would be difficult for pianos like compared to like Tom's shoes. Like you buy a pair of shoes and we give you a, a you know, to donate a pair of shoes, like mm-hmm. buy a piano and we'll donate a piano to. It's harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Harder to ship. What about you? Yeah. I think for me, I value my time so much more than I value money. And I love yeah, spending my time getting to do what I love to do. And so if I would probably offload more of what I'm doing now, keep, you know, being a part of the agency, but also I, I me and my business partner, you know, we just started another business and we have ambitions to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I'm also would love to do nonprofit consulting work mm. um, with like digital marketing and tech and stuff like that. So, um, and then I really like spending time with my family and going on trips. So I'd probably continue doing that. Nice. Yeah. And uh, we're involved in the marriage ministry here. My wife's doing stuff like it'd be awesome to just, I'm down at Hustle Phoenix three times a week mentoring. And then I'm at church doing this. Oh, and I'm funding it. And, yeah. you know, I'm going to pay someone. So I don't know. That That's exciting. Yeah. Next, next question. Do you Sabbath well? Do you Sabbath well? How, how well do you take Sunday or whatever day that you set aside? Yeah, I, I'm in a position now to be able to do that. Like the, realistically, I think that. Um, being a small business owner, it's, it's hard to do that if you don't, um, create like a conscious effort to delegate really well. And so this past summer we went, um, to a lake in, in Oregon for a week. And that was the first time in four years that I didn't like, I checked in, but like, I didn't actively have to do work. And I intentionally, you know, I, I was at a point where I, I really just didn't want to either. I needed a break and it felt, it felt wonderful. Like I felt like I was able to come back to work be refreshed, but also just be stronger and more there mentally. Mm. Josh? Work six days a week. So Sunday we've got the routine, like we, you know, we come to church and then my eight-year-old, we do daddy-daughter Sunday fun day. And so we do pancakes and then I come home and usually take a nap because I just work six days. And, and you then, just ate pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> I just ate pancakes right. and we, you know, we chill and hang out, but with being a small business owner too, like I really covet my time and there is a scarcity there and I do need, so I come in late, I leave early, I take a day off if I feel I need it. If the kids have something going on, like there's a lot of flexibility. Um, and right now we're short staff. So I have two cell phones dinging at me, then the chat room and then five email addresses. And you know, you just, that's what you end up doing. If you own a business, you have to do it cause you're, you know, and so, um, right now it's just that season. So I'm just going after it, but yeah. So when you're, you're both done with your businesses, maybe you've sold them, but you still want to have like some kind of fun retirement job. What would you do? I would just, I would keep doing what I'm doing now. Like I don't plan on retiring, but I think the consulting thing is, is really great. You know, I love that idea of just giving back and, giving wisdom to younger folks and trying to keep them from making the same mistakes you did. Yeah, no, for sure. I think for me, I would do consulting probably for free because I love working with businesses and nonprofits. I mean, if I had that 10 million you're talking about, like, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and I really like the people, but I love working with people so much and I love seeing other people succeed. So I'd probably do something like that. Nice. All right. Last question. What is the number one quality a person can bring to any work? You both have kind of touched on different qualities and, and attributes, but what is the one thing at the very top Everest top of Everest? What's the one quality or value a person can bring to any type of work? Ooh, yeah, that's a hard one. I would say, I mean, there's character stuff. You don't trust somebody. It's an, you know, it's a non-starter. Um, but that's too easy. So I would just say somebody who doesn't like sucking at something and just wants to keep getting better at it has, has the work ethic and you can see them growing in real time. Like that's super important. Work ethic and learning because you talked about that, be a learner. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, curiosity and spotting issues and solving them. Like I think like, uh, in, in our company, the people that have succeeded the most have been the ones that are like, okay, we, here's, here's our strategy and what we're trying to do as a business. Here's an issue that's preventing us from getting there. And then like coming to us with a plan to fix it. That's really hard. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't um, want to do that kind of work or just aren't you know into it. But that's what I love the most. I should have let him go first and then I could just say, yeah, what he said is that was, that was good. Oh, that's great. Well, hey, both, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness to Gateway, your faithfulness to, to Jesus and how you bring that faith into your work and your businesses. Uh, for everyone who's listening, we love you so much. We hope this uh, podcast has been uh, beneficial and encouraging, and uh, we love you. Yes, one last thing. W- one last thing. If uh, Kyle or I, if we said anything that kind of, you know, anybody wants to follow up on, oh, yeah. uh, you know, like just reach out to one of the pastors and you can text me, call me all hours. Likewise. I love that. Yeah. So totally open for those kind of things. So. Wow, that's wonderful. But well, we love everyone and uh, thank you for uh, listening. Thank you.